Um, we're gonna we're continuing a series to uh, today and for probably quite a few weeks on um, the ten pillars of our culture here at, at uh, King of Glory. And uh, as I said last week, when when a culture is created, it it begins to uh, motivate and move. You become a movement. You're not just a gathering. You're a movement of people that are going forward. And last week I spoke on the first pillar of our culture is uh, loving God. And how I, I talked about the scripture in Luke 17, verse 7 through 8, where when the servants are out in the field, we've been working hard all day long, and we come in from the field. And the, and the parable talks about, are the servants to feed themselves first, or are they to feed and prepare a meal for the master? And the parable describes that we are to first prepare a meal for the master and have him be satisfied, have his heart be filled up to overflowing. And then we are to serve ourselves with a meal. And this is actually rethinking how we're doing church because a lot of, I would say, the mindsets of, of, of people in church today is when you walk through the door, you're thinking, what am I going to get? What is going to be given to me? How am I going to be fed? How are my needs going to be met? The first thought is about moi and not God. And so God's saying, maybe, maybe we need to rethink this. Instead of having a consumer mentality, what if we're to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And to exalt him and worship him first, let him be satisfied, and then God pours out blessings upon us. So as we're seeking first the kingdom, he said, and then all these other things will be added unto you. So it's kind of a, a redirection of our mind. But our first ministry in this church is to love God with all of our hearts. It is the primary pillar that is a part of our culture. The second one that I want to talk about today is prayer. And prayer is to be our first response and not our last result. It is to be something in which we are engaged in on a continual basis. Jesus said, my father's house will be a house of prayer. Today's house is us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So your house, your skin, your body is to be a house that is offering up prayer on a continual basis unto God. So he says, your house, your body shall be a house of prayer. That's who you are. Because you've been filled with the spirit of the living God. And at, at this church, we believe that prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. How many of us wait until we get into hot water before we really cry out for prayer? How many of us wait until we're really in a pickle before we decide, well, maybe I should pray. And maybe we should realize this is, should be our first impulse, our response to every situation that we're going through. Everything we do in this house in this church is birthed in prayer 
as we seek His face, both corporately and individually. You know, over the years, it's been pretty predictable. If I were to call a prayer meeting uh, for this church, um, I would love to say that the, every chair would be filled. But you know what the response is if I call a prayer meeting? We might have five or six. And I'm not being critical. It's just not, it's not on the foremost of people's minds. What? You mean where to pray? I mean, that's work, you know? I mean, shouldn't it be a little easier? But, you know, prayer, there is work when it comes to prayer. You've got to, you've got to have the mindset of being disciplined and setting aside time to be with God and to begin to pray and to cry out to Him. But if I announce we're going to have a fellowship dinner with some of the best food that you've ever had, we're going to have filet mignon, we're going to have all the kind of food that you want, all i got to do is say food. And guess what? Y'all are going to come. I mean, it's just our natural response. You know, we, we like food. But I do believe cultivating a life of prayer first starts with discipline. It starts with kind of a routine of saying, I'm going to get up early or I'm going to set aside a block of time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persistently, consistently go after God in prayer. And I'm going to start making it a discipline. And then all of a sudden, after time, what happens is that the discipline begins to flow into actually desire. You begin to desire it. It's like, you know, if you... You know what? My, my children and are always saying, Dad, have you, have you drinking your water today? You know, and, you know, I, I got to remind myself that, you know, st stay hydrated and drink. But you know what? What I see today is I see people carrying around their little thermoses, you know, their little containers of water. But people that drink water on a consistent basis get more thirsty for water. It's like you started something. Now you can't stop drinking water. And I'm not quite there yet, but I'm going to get there. You know, it's, it's something in which it just causes you to have an appetite for more of water. So in prayer, as we are in discipline, it begins to step into desire. And then guess what? After that, it shifts gears and goes into delight. You delight to be with God. You delight to be in his presence. You enjoy it with all of your heart. I have watched something unfold in my house that truly is a miracle. My wife has been training for a marathon, half a marathon. She always tells me that. But she's also said, I am going to do a full marathon too. But the reality is, is that Eliza first started out with discipline of getting her, her, all of her material, all the running gear. And she started running like a mile to two miles a day in her neighborhood. And you know, our neighborhood's hilly, you know, so it's not a small feat to be 
training for a half a marathon in our neighborhood, which is a lot of hills. So she starts, she was consistently every day running a little bit. And over time to where even last week, we, I, I watched her run 14 miles. And that's not a small deal. I mean, come on, 14 miles. I mean, I mean, I I couldn't do I mean, I was her water boy. I mean, she'd be she'd be running and I'd be with her water, you know, here, here, drink, honey, drink, you know, you know, and here's your little munchies, you know, munchies, eat, eat, you know. I mean, and so she was dedicated, but you know what? She said something to me. She said, Who would ever, who would ever thought? that I would enjoy running. She says, I enjoy. And now I want to run a marathon in all 50 states. And I said, I said, I said, you're going to be a hundred years old. You'll be, she'll be, she'll be out there a hundred years old. You know, she, she'll be, she might be going this fast, but she's going to be running a race. I said, you're going to have to start doing two year to get to every state. Oh my goodness. But just the reality that she actually enjoys it now. It's a delight. And I think that in some ways that's kind of with prayer. It's kind of like we've got to get in this stage of disciplining ourselves that it flows into delight and ends up becoming the joy of our heart of being with the Lord. But 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, listen. Paul's given us a picture into his life. And he says, pray without ceasing. And it was simply really an expression of Paul's daily life. He was living a life dedicated to praying daily. His life was dedicated to praying for the church. His life was dedicated to lifting up all the needs of the people. But he said simply, pray without ceasing. That, that, that's a big deal. I mean, I have found myself I, and it's something I just haven't worked up, but in the last couple of weeks, I have found myself just praying in the Spirit more than I ever have before. I don't know what's happening, but it's like all of a sudden my prayer language is beginning to flow in my prayer time. And it makes my prayer time like come alive when the Holy Spirit begins to intercede through me with groanings too deep for words and begins to pray into situations that I'm asking the Lord to intervene into. But Paul, honestly, Paul had a real sense of his insufficiency, his inadequacies, his weaknesses. He was a very aware of his limitations and what he could do in life. And he recognized his need for the grace and the power of heaven to invade every situation that he was going through. He was appealing to the God of heaven and inviting heaven into his situations and inviting the power of God into every situation that he was going through to bring about change. 
to bring about the breakthrough. But he said, God, I really need you. So I invite you now to invade this situation and bring about the change that I need to see done. But it really brought about, and, and you know, prayer wasn't a duty or a burden to him. It wasn't like he was like, oh gosh, I gotta pray. It was a delight of his heart. It was, it was a natural turning of his heart to God to intervene and to step in and to see God unlock the very thing that he was looking for. So it's not a duty. It's not a burden. Prayer is a delight. Luke 18, turn with me there to verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, Jesus is is telling them a parable. And in this parable, he begins to reveal something that you and I are up against all the time. Verse 1, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. I want to stop there because, you know, I, I was I'm going through the, the Bible in a year and I'm reading the scriptures. And and recently I came upon this verse in verse one of chapter 18. And it struck me. It's like, you know, I know I've read it before, but it's like it jumped out at me. Jesus is getting ready to unpack a parable that's going to help them understand the importance of, of a life lived in continual prayer. And in this continual prayer, it was for the very purpose that you do not lose heart. Could it be that the very things that you're wrestling with, the very things that you're going through, you're losing heart over because you're fretting over things, you're thinking about things, you're trying to fix things, you're trying to figure out how you can manage things better, where it's becoming an intellectual exercise. And God is saying, I want you to invite me into your situation and let me bring about change so you don't lose heart. Because some of you are looking at situations right now where you're processing it so much with your mind that your spirit man is not engaged in prayer and therefore your heart is growing faint and you're tired. And God is saying, you really need some help. Engage in prayer and let me help you. Prayer is the means for inviting God into your situation to help you. It's saying, God, unless you step in, nothing's going to change. So, It's time that we invite the God of heaven into all of our situations and say, God, I can't fix this thing. I need you desperately. And then in verse two, it says, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. God is so clever. In this parable, Jesus is setting the stage to show us an impossible situation. And it says here, So first of all, he hates God, and this judge does not respect man. 
Now, that's not a judge I would really like to stand before. You know, if I'm really needing some help, I would not want a, a judge that is godless and really and hates me. You know, I mean, it just I I mean, that just would not be really a fun thing. So. And then it says there's a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continual coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know what, Jesus? He's setting you up. And let me explain how he's setting you up. This is an impossible situation. We have a very unrighteous, ungodly, godless man who hates God and has no respect for man. And you have a widow who, a widow in that time has no rights, no uh, 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 rights from the standpoint of, of an inheritance. When a, when a uh, husband passes away, um, she, she, they don't have a right to own land. So a lot of times a widow would have to go and live with the husband's parents or with a son, if she has a son, but she has no rights and no protection. And she says, I have somebody who's after me right now and I need your help. And so she is persistently coming before him and he's saying, before she wears me out, I'm going to give what she wants. So in this, what we're looking at is an impossible situation in the natural realm. And this is what many of you are facing today. In your lives, there are some impossible, precarious, difficult situations that you're facing that there is no way for help in the natural. And in this, we are faced with the fact, are we going to cry out to God who is there for his elect who wants to help them, who wants to assist them, but he's saying, you must invite me into your situation. And will he not come quickly? Will he delay? No, he won't delay. The fact is we're reading a story in which God is saying, I'm going to come to you quickly, and I want to help in this impossible situation, but you got to invite me into it. you got to invite me into your financial situation. You've got to invite me into your marriage. You've got to invite me into your work situation that is so out of control. You've got to invite me into this addiction that you're struggling with that you cannot get over. And you, when you're doing that, what you're doing is that you're inviting heaven's realm into your midst. And when heaven comes, the scripture says in Corinthians that that the kingdom is just not mere words. The kingdom of God 
which is the realm of God, inviting it into your situation is power. The kingdom of God is power. So in that, when he shows up, the sheriff has come in town and he's ready to kick you know what and get things aligned rightly in your situation. So you're inviting not just uh, maybe some angels with little wings. No, you're inviting the host of heaven into your situation, the army of God, the living God into your situation. And he's saying, I'm ready to stand up and show off on your behalf. And that's what he does for his elect. And guess who his elect are? Those who call upon the name of the Lord. He is there for you. So are you engaging heaven and inviting God into your situation that seems to be impossible so that he might free you from the temptation of losing heart? There's no need to lose heart when you've got a God that's going to come and help you. He is setting the stage up for us all to have God change impossible, impossible situations and work them around for good and bring change. God is on the throne and he is able to move on behalf of anyone who calls upon his name to rescue and to save in every situation. But this woman was persistently bugging the unrighteous judge for legal protection. She kept bugging him. She kept persistently saying, I need help. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The parable shifts. And it says, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. God brought about justice quickly for this young girl who needed help. He was a just God who stepped in, and it all came out of God responding to prayer. God responded to the cries of his people, and God heard the cry and he stepped in. But prayer takes persistency. It takes you sticking in with it and not giving up. It takes you engaging with God in the spirit in situations and seeing God begin to manifest his power, but pressing in and don't give up until you got the answer. Some of you haven't gotten the answer or the breakthrough in an area that you're praying for. Don't give up. It's the best days are ahead. Just like Rocky said, you know what? I'm just about to give up. You know, I've been praying and, and, and witnessing to people for a year and a half. And all of a sudden, four people just got saved. I mean, that's God showing himself strong on his behalf, but he did not give up. James 5.16 says this. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective fervent prayer. Put your heart into it. 
put your heart into it and say, God, step in and help me. Matthew 7, verse 7 says this. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You know, Matthew 26, and I'm not going to stay on this too long, verse 36. uh, In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus brings his disciples to the garden. And um, and then he pulls away um, uh, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee away a little bit further from the other disciples. And Jesus goes and prays. And this is the agony of his soul because he being fully God and fully man. The man part of Jesus was having to come to terms with the fact that, that it could be the will of his father that he drink the cup. And in that drinking the cup, he would be willing to have the sin of the world to be poured into his body. And he be the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That all of the sin of humanity would be poured into his body. And the thought of it was so excruciating that he sweat drops of blood. The human side of Jesus was needing prayer. There's an, only one place in Scripture that you'll find where Jesus is asking his disciples, will you pray for me? And he comes back to his disciples. And what does he find? They're sleeping. Jesus The only time he's ever asked anybody to keep watching and pray for him, his disciples are sleeping. And he's saying, could you not watch for me for one hour? Could you not pray for me for one hour? Could you not lift me up for one hour? And he goes back and starts praying. He says, oh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He's agonizing. Oh, he does this three times. He comes back three times and he finds his disciples sleeping. And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think that summarizes a lot of us when it comes to prayer. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. How many of you start praying and next thing you know, you start falling asleep? I mean, really? I mean, you think I'm going to ascend the hill of the Lord and five minutes later, you're, you know, you're sleeping. You know, it's just, and, and, and we've got to engage our spirits in this. And, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, you know, you're to pray for one hour every day. Like, you know, he's saying, could you not at least watch him pray for one hour? But in this, how much time are you really spending in prayer? Just ask yourself that. If it might be 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, I feel like the Lord just wants me to encourage you, press into the more. Maybe you might take a little bit longer than you did last time. Maybe you prayed five minutes last time, last yesterday. Let's go 10 tomorrow. 
but begin to cultivate. You know, I mean, like my wife, she's really, I mean, she hasn't stayed at just running one or two miles a day. She's, she said, I'm going for it. And she's pressing into the more. And now she's exercising and running 14 miles a day. Come on, let me brag a little bit. I mean, come on. I mean, the woman ran 14 miles. I mean, that's longer from this church to my house. You know, I mean, come on. It's like, that's a long run. So, but the reality is she's pressing in for the more. And eventually she's saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to do a full marathon. I'm like, go girl. I mean, but in that, I want to challenge you to increase your prayer life. Engage more with God and, and, and stop complaining. Begin to say, God, I ask you to step into my situation and rescue me and begin to be consistent. But the issue is this. The disciples saw the life of Jesus. They saw he had a life of prayer. Jesus would always pull away and go be with the Father. They get up in the morning. Where's Jesus? Well, he's not here. He's up praying up on the hill. They'd find out the next day he'd been praying all night long. Jesus prayed in every situation, before every meal, before he healed people, before he did any miracles. He was always praying to the Father. Father, be glorified in this situation. And so in that, the disciples saw that, wow, he's, he's a man of prayer. So what they say? Teach us to pray. So Matthew 6, turn with me there real quick, and then we're going to wrap it up. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 says this, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven. Well, we're identifying, number one, He's not your Father, He's our Father. We're one big family, we're a part of the family of God, and He's located in heaven. And it says, Hallowed be your name. Do you know that to a Jew, everything is in a name? A name means things. And in this portion of Scripture, His name Yahweh, in this name, is everything that you need. It contains everything. It is the best multivitamin you'll ever eat in your life. It has everything in it to give you everything that's good. So you begin to worship him and hallow his name. So how do you start our prayer? See, the Lord's prayer is not something you say in 30 seconds. It's something that you get on. It's a track in your mind that you're racing and you're going through different stages on the track as you're running around until you get to the finish. So in that, he first talks about hallowed be his name. Because why? There's a name within a name. There's more in that name than you'll ever fully, I think anybody will comprehend. So are you needing peace? Do you need peace? His name is Jehovah Shalom. Peace is yours in his name. Do you need to know that things are, you're right with God? Well, guess what? His name is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, your righteousness. You are made right with God. Are you needing healing in your life? Well, guess what? In that name is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord, your healer. 
Are you possibly needing to know that God hasn't left you? Well, guess what? The name is Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present one. He's with you. He never leaves you. Are you need to know that you're loved? You ever feel like, gosh, did God really love me? Well, guess what? He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your banner. His banner over you is love. Do you understand what I'm getting at? That gives you every reason to say, hallowed be your name. I worship you and I praise you, God. Everything that I need. You're Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. I'm so glad I got a shepherd. In this, you're beginning to declare, God, you are all sufficient. In your name is everything that I need. And I thank you. That took five or ten minutes. That wasn't a 30-second prayer. And I've only gotten on the first verse. So you're beginning to exalt the God of heaven because in his name is everything that you need. He is Jehovah. Do you need a little money? Does anybody need some money? Do you need some money? Come on. His name is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. So say, God, I thank you that you're going to put some food in my cupboard. You're going to put some money in my bank. You're going to help me out because I am more precious than the birds of the airs and the lilies of the field. I am his son. I'm his daughter. And he loves his kids. He's going to take care of his kids. So if you're getting ready to go on a mission trip, who's going on a mission trip? Oh, guess what? He's God Almighty and he's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He's God Almighty. He's, he's God Elohim, Almighty God, all-sufficient one. And then you might say, well, gosh, I don't know. Lord, I'm not really feeling very, just not feeling like I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. I don't feel like mm, I'm, I'm really right. Well, you know what? I got good news. In his name, is known as a name called Jehovah Makadesh. You know what that means? He sanctifies you wholly. You are made holy before him because of the blood of the lamb. You say, Lord, I thank you that you sanctify me wholly. I thank you. I praise you that, that I'm made right with you, that your blood is all sufficient and has defeated the enemy. And then you shift gears. Let's go to the next verse. We just started. And then all of a sudden he says, pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is, you're on the track. You just went through his name. Woo you're worshiping him. Now you're at the next stage on the journey of praying. And you're in your mind. You're, he's, see, the Lord's making it really simple. You know how you get real distracted in prayer? You know, you're kind of like all over the map. You know, first you start praying for China, and then it's, oh, I need a peanut butter sandwich. And, you know, it's like, oh, I need a nap. You know, it's like we're all, we're all over the map. So in that, he keeps us focused. Then he says, your kingdom come. What are you doing? You're inviting God's kingdom to come, which means you're inviting God's power into your situation. 
So here's where all of a sudden things begin to happen. Why? Because the kingdom of God is the realm of God where he reigns and rules. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient. You're taking his kingdom, and you're saying, why don't you just come now to earth in my situation? Why don't you invite the realm of heaven into your mind that is struggling right now, and you're saying, God, I ask for the power of God to come into my mind and to change the way I'm thinking. Because 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God does not consist with words, but in power. When you're inviting the kingdom of God into your situation, you're inviting the host of heaven. Come on, you have all God's resources at your aid. The angels of God are there to minister, to do his bidding. You're inviting God's government. You're inviting God's realm. You're inviting God's all-sufficient power. You're inviting the sheriff into town. And he's not the wily, wily coyote kind of sheriff. He's, he's, he's the real deal. So when the kingdom comes, what you're doing is, what, how's, how's the situation going with, with your marriage? Is it not good? The marriage isn't good. You're beginning to say, Lord, I pray your kingdom come into my marriage. And not only your kingdom, I'm saying, Lord, let your will be done. God has a will in every situation. God has a will and a way in every situation that you're facing. And he's saying, simply ask my will to be done. You're inviting his kingdom, his reign and rule, and now you're saying, God, let your will be done in this situation. Let your mind be manifested and be glorified. So all of a sudden, what we've done is we went through the second stage on the track, and now we're coming up to the third stage on the track. And you know, when you, when you hallow his name, declare what is, who he is, and you're declaring his kingdom come, listen, when I'm declaring his kingdom come, it starts out with me by saying, God, let your kingdom come here first, and your will be done in my life. And then I'm praying for my family. And then I'm praying for the church. And then I'm praying for all my needs, all the, the things that are coming in uh, from different people, different situations, um, praying for revival here, uh, missionaries going there. I'm praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in all of these other situations. And when you do that, you know, that's, that's not a three-minute prayer. You stay on it. You marinate in it until you exhaust what is on the mind of the Lord for that day in praying in His kingdom and His will to be done. And then it says this, our next verse. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying, pray, give us. You don't, you don't have to be like, oh, God, I don't know what your will that I have, buddy. Maybe you want me to be poor. No. He wants to bless you. You're his kid. You're his child. He wants to give good gifts. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I pray that you meet my financial needs right now to pay for my car. I cannot fix it right now. I'm asking God that you would provide now 
the resources to fix my car in this situation. I'm asking, Lord, that you would provide the resources so that I can, I can go here, move here, go there, whatever the situation might be. You're inviting God in, and he's saying, ask for it. I'll give it to you. And then the next one is this. Forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sins, as we've also have forgiven our debtors or trespasses, whatever your version might say. It is imperative that you allow your heart to be cleansed from the defilement, from the sin you've been in. You've fallen into temptation daily. Lord, wash me, cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb. Scripture says, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Every day, just get cleansed in the blood. Lord, thank you. And not only yourself, but Lord, I forgive that person that was a little harsh with me. I forgive that person. I'm choosing not to get offended. I forgive them, even though they might have hurt you. I forgive them. I free them. I take no offense. And in doing that, because the scripture says, you know, if you don't forgive uh, the sins of your brother, your sister, your neighbor, you know what it says after the Lord's Prayer? He won't forgive you of your sin. The hallmark of every Christian is that you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven of everything. But what short circuits the forgiveness of Jesus is choosing not to extend forgiveness to someone else. He's saying, forgive. Don't take an offense. Uh, Paul says, don't take an offense in anything. And next, the next portion of it. So, so now you're on the, you're on the, you're on the home stretch. You're coming around the, the lap here. You know, you're at the next station. You're getting your drink. Woo-hoo! And uh, you're still in prayer. So we got our next one after verse 13. We have it up there. And do not lead us into temptation. Woohoo! But deliver us from evil. How many of you are tempted in a day? I mean, come on. Temptations are everywhere. And he's saying, in, in starting out your day, ask me to help you not to be led into temptation. You need to get off that site. Get off that phone. Get out. Do, stop doing what you're doing. Don't be tempted. But he delivers you from the temptation so you don't fall into sin. That's a great prayer. We're praying this every day. And then he says, but deliver us from evil. We don't want to fall into evil. We don't want to come into understanding and, and, and flowing with the evil realm. We want to know that we're free. To whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And now you're on the home stretch. Now you're on the home stretch, and we go to the last one, verse 14. Is that, oh, maybe it's, oh, it's in there. The whole enchilada for yours is the kingdom and the power. So what you're doing now is that you're summarizing basically who God is. You're saying, God, it's your kingdom. It is your power. It is your realm that I praise and I worship and I thank you for. And it's your power 
that it's going to change my situations. And God, I'm going to make sure that you get all the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And I'm telling you what, when you get done doing that, you're going to have the most awesome prayer time. Your heart's going to be inflamed because you have aligned yourself with the pattern of prayer that works. And I'm so glad Jesus laid out in the scriptures how we're to live a life of prayer. Like Paul says, pray without ceasing, which to me is a beautiful picture that I desire to attain and reach one day. So this is one of the major pillars of our culture is prayer. It is to be your first response, not your last resort. So I want to encourage this house to begin to pray individually, but also even corporately. Maybe you should gather with some people and begin to gather throughout the week. Maybe come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday. We had four people this last week. Woo-hoo! We had four people. Praise the Lord. So, you know, four is better than two. But, but you know, it's like, let's begin to be a house of prayer. Church, engage with God, and let's begin to see. And we have a really neat thing to pray about right now. Listen, if you want to add something to your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, let the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I mean, come on. What I have been longing for all these years, I've been waiting to see the billion soul harvest come in. I mean, come on, we could be right on the edge of it. And wouldn't it be fun to be a part of it? I mean, not just be a bystander. Oh, this is really nice. A billion souls got saved. No, you get to be in it. You get to be engaged in it, seeing souls come into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's stand. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Sure. Do you do you remember the days when King of Glory had solemn assemblies? Yes. And we prayed all night. It was a prayer vigil, an all night prayer vigil. And one time we had, I guess it was this time of year, and it had snowed during the night. And when we finished up the next morning, we were all gathered right up there by the door. And you remember, you said, let's go to IHOP for breakfast. And so we did. But while we were in that group and before we disbanded, a lady came in, perfect stranger. And... uh, we welcomed her, you know, we're getting ready to go breakfast. Come on, join us. She said, well, I was just coming up, exit 59, I guess. And she said, I saw angels dancing on the roof. And I want to know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we told her that we had just finished an all-night prayer meeting. 
And I just want to share that with, with the congregation because the Bible says, take delight in Jesus and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes. And so we just fall in love with Jesus. And all of this prayer will be solved. I mean, we'll hunger and thirst and we will receive the righteousness. Everything that you have said will come true. And thank you for giving us that message. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Joe, Joe, Jane, Joe Jane was the keeper of the flame. We had a, a fire uh, candle, a menorah candle lighting, and she would keep the, the candles lit all night long. And the, and the candles that would, would, would get down to a very small place, she would replace it. She'd first light a new candle and get off the old one and put on a new one. She stayed up all night for 24 hours, and she would sleep. She slept in the... We brought sleeping bags. Joe Jane's in a sleeping bag. I mean, come on. I mean, that's a woman who loves prayer. You know? Amen. Amen. I, it might be time we need to have another solemn assembly. What do you think, huh? I think it's time. Okay. All right. Everybody get your sleeping bags. We're going to have a good time. All right. Well, Father, I thank you and I praise you for this wonderful church, a church that will be known as a house of prayer. And Father, I bless this house. Father, as each and every one engages you in prayer to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I thank you and I praise you that great things Mighty things are getting ready to happen in this house. And God, on the eve of the Super Bowl, we even cry out to you, God, for revival. We ask, God, that you would rend the heavens and bring down revival. That, God, that we would see a move of your spirit on this earth like man has never seen before. Lord, we're declaring that the billion-soul harvest is coming in. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Give somebody a big old hug and say, you know what? You're a prayer warrior. Amen.